You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. Welcome back to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. And today we are starting to realize, if we have not already... That we are always just a few steps away from watching biblical heroes just kind of collapse. The good guys often mess it up. The bad guys really mess it up. And today uh, we return to yet another story that's starting to elude us to the point that things are getting messed up. Now, this actually is the origin part of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah doesn't just enter our view when it gets blown up later. It actually enters our view in Genesis 13 when Abram or Abraham is separates from Lot. Now, because there's a lot of characters in the Bible, let me remind you who Lot was really quick. Abraham had a brother named Haran. Haran died, and uh, his son, Lot, lived with Abraham and Abraham's dad and the rest of their extended family. However, when God called Abraham to follow him, when Abraham left with his wife, Sarah, he also took his nephew, Lot. So Abraham is Lot's uncle, but uh, gathering that uh, Lot's real dad has passed and Lot is spending all this time with Abraham, there's a good possibility that, you know, this looks more, well, that maybe Lot treats him more as like a father figure, just given that he he currently has no father and and Abraham's kind of gone along with him. So that catches up to speed, the relationship between Abraham and Lot. Now let's read Genesis 13. We're going to pause throughout it to look at some uh, a few facts. Uh, so let's dive in. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. All right, let's pause there really quick. You know, there's a, we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us where all of this influence came from. Um, God did tell him that he was going to bless him, but a lot of times we think of blessing as like, you know, lots of wealth and things like that. But God's blessing was, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's uh, Genesis 12, 2 through 3 right there. So uh, it is said that he's going to become a great nation, which we're going to see through the inheritance of children. Um, He is said that he's going to have a great name, so that might be like an illusion that God's going to give him wealth. But the only way we've really seen Abraham get wealth so far, if you remember from our last podcast episode, a trilogy of half-lives, half-lies, in that episode, Abraham got wealthy through a lie. And it doesn't necessarily say, like, you know, God blessed him because he lied, but it does say that Abraham got all this wealth. He he, uh, basically traded his wife over to someone uh, to take as their own wife, said, this is my sister, not my real wife, uh, not my wife. And so they took him and gave him what looks to be a dowry. Uh, okay, so since 
you're this, your sister is, you say it's your sister. Since you're your sister's kind of caretaker, here's a whole bunch of gifts to you in exchange for uh, the wife you've now given me. If you remember that story from last week, Abraham gets all this wealth. And then when the guy finds out, wait, this is your wife. Look, dude, I don't want your wife. Take your wife, get out of here. When he sends him away, he doesn't take back the stuff. Abraham leaves with everything that he had. So, so far at least, like the great wealth that we've seen Abraham ha- get, we haven't had indication like God blessed him with this, but more that Abraham's kind of like underhandedly taken it through a lie that he told because of his own anxiety. I just want to point this out because, you know, a lot of time when we talk about blessing, we don't think of blessing in the way that Jesus said we're blessed. You know, when we're meek, when we're uh, peacemakers and the list goes on like that. Instead, we always think of like, oh yeah, blessed like Abraham, all that stuff he had. Again, God's blessing was to make him a great nation. Maybe there's wealth in that blessing. But so far, the wealth that Abraham has been indicated to receive has been through illegitimate means, not necessarily from God. Now, maybe God has taken... uh, You know, the Bible says that uh, he can uh, make all things work together for our good. That would include our sin. So maybe God has taken like this sinful lie and he's still given the the uh, animals that Abraham's gotten. You know, maybe Abraham's like repentant of what he what he's done, maybe. And God's just blessed these animals to give birth like crazy so that he has even more of them, I don't know. We, you know, we're we're reading into things when we once we look outside the box. But we at least got to stop and say like the wealth that Abraham has right now, the only indication where we've seen him get it is actually kind of illegitimate. So to be like, "Oh yes, God wants to bless us with all this stuff." kind of misses like the point of this story. Okay. So, uh picking back up in 13:3. And Abraham journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. All right, so just to remind you, um, when God called Abraham to follow him, God appeared to Abraham uh, in his physical state that you see throughout the Old Testament, his theophany-type state. You can learn more about that in one of our previous episodes about, I think, the angel of the Lord is what it's called, or go to our series on Matthew, listen to the message entitled Jesus Revealed that we just preached this past Sunday. Um, But God appeared to Abraham, and then Abraham uh, built an altar to the Lord after he left that space and, and went somewhere else. So here you have Abraham actually returning to that place. Now, I'm surprised when I look throughout commentaries that there's not a whole lot more said here uh, because Abraham calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, maybe that's uh, probably, I'm guessing that's just what you do when you get to a sacred space like this. You go to that sacred space that was made on on God's behalf because you met God uh, or it was made in honor of this experience that you had with God and you go there and you call upon the name of the Lord. Um, but we've seen this happen before when Abraham made that place, he called upon the name of the Lord. And if you remember way back, uh, towards the beginning of Genesis, Adam and Eve had a son named Seth who had a son named Enosh. 
And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So there's almost like this like reminder. Remember how uh, in the midst of Cain's rebellion, there were people that raised up and called upon the name of the Lord? I don't know. That just There's not a lot of commentaries digging deeper into this in any kind of way like that, but it just brings me back to that passage. You know, here's Abraham. He's kind of sojourned in, in the land of Egypt for a while. Uh, he's probably been surrounded by, you know, the false gods of Egypt. He's been surrounded by uh, um, his own sin, turning his wife over so that he would survive rather than any kind of nobility, uh, the, all the taking of this wealth. And now he goes back to the land where he first kind of ran into God, where he built an altar to God, where he once called upon the name of the Lord called upon the name of Yahweh, as that would mean, he returns to that land after all of this, and now he calls upon the name of Yahweh again. I, I don't know. There's just something about this that strikes me as like a spiritual renewal of sorts. It could just be that he needs more direction from God, and so he's returning for that. Maybe he's never really you know, felt like he's drifted or anything like that. That could totally be true. But in this case, we at least see him coming before this sacred space. So he believes he's walking into God's presence and he's calling upon the name of Yahweh uh, to come and guide him, help him, or just returning to him, returning to his spiritual roots, you know, returning to that promise that, that God gave him before he's coming back to God now. So we don't know how long he's been gone, you know, but he left for Egypt because of famine. And now he's returned back to God. So I guess uh, read into that what you want, but here you at least see him returning to this sacred space. Picking up verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support, support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So here uh, you just see that they have so much wealth between the two of them, like father, like uncle, like nephew. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but they've both incurred so much wealth at this point. Uh, be thinking like all these animals, right? You have this land, your animals need to eat. But whose land are they eating? Where's the boundary lines? Eventually, they just both have so much wealth that it's actually, it's creating strife between them. It's creating strife between their workers um, who are like, probably like, hey, your your animals are eating our vegetables. Those are ours, you know, or that's our part of the land. Get off here. So one way or another, now you have problem. There's too many people in one spot. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen, my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes. And this is, this is important. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, which is Eden, right? Like the land of Egypt and the direction of Zoar. And then in parentheses, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. All right, let's pause there for a moment. Now, if we're not paying attention, this is a very neutral thing to do, perhaps even like uh, the expected thing that you would do, right? Uh, Abraham actually set up the... um, set up the scenario himself. Okay, look, so here's the deal, man. You go one way, I'll go the other. Seriously, if you want to go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. Whatever the case may be, you choose first and I'll, I'll go the other direction. So we're thinking like, yeah, really no problem here. And they're separating for reasons that seem pretty rational. Things have gotten really hectic and it's hard to have all their workers in the same place. They just have too much wealth to take up the same amount of land. So yeah, they they need to separate at this point. It, it all just seems rational, no problem. We don't see the Bible telling us anything uh, suspicious of, of like a downfall here. Until we stop and we realize the phrases and words that are being used. Now we can see this in English. I imagine uh, those who you know, would read their Bible in Hebrew, would especially have a lot of these words stand out. But we get similar translations in English that if we're paying attention, they call us back to these other things that have already happened in Genesis so far. So we're going to use the New American Commentary. And I want to take a look at this. This is how your Bible works, okay? All the time, your Bible is making allusions to prior things. Uh, New Testament authors are going to make very small allusions to Old Testament things all throughout their writing just by using specific phrases, specific words. So when you're reading your New Testament and you come across that phrase, like if you recognize that phrase from the Old Testament, you'd be like, ah, there's double meaning here. The, The author is not only telling me something that Jesus did, but they're telling what Jesus did in light of an Old Testament story and what happened there. Now I have to compare them. I have these allusions to each other. That happens in uh, writings between Old Testament and New Testament. It happens between writings in Old Testament, Old Testament, and uh, it happens in in the same exact book. So when we're reading Genesis, check this out. A lot just happened alluding back to things that have already happened throughout Genesis. Here we have in Genesis 13 that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered. If we go back to Genesis 3, 6, when when Eve stumbles, when she takes the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden of God in, in Eden. She, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and it desired to, and she desired, sorry, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. So you see Eve looking at something, you know, it's visually appealing and she takes of it. In the same way, you see Lot looking. He lifts up his eyes. He looks. He sees the best of the land, and he takes it. So already we're seeing an indication back to the fall from the Garden of Eden. 
He also saw, right? He lift up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered. And we also saw Eve did that, right? She she uh, uh, saw that the tree was good for food. And uh, check this out. Remember the Nephilim? You remember when the angels... We, you got to go back to the podcast, listen to this if you want this. You have the sons of God, which later Jews said were angels. They come down and procreate with humans, giving birth to the Nephilim. Genesis 6-2, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. So you see like this word saw, but in Hebrew, and uh, uh, not only Lot saw it, but Eve saw the apple, but, uh, sorry, the fruit and, uh, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Uh, these words, you know, they've got previous meaning. Obviously there's plenty of references here to the garden of Eden, which yes, makes us think of God's land, but also makes us think of the fall from Eden. You've got the fact that, uh, the Jordan Valley is where Lot wants to go and it's watered, right? It's watered, uh, um, everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. If we go back to the garden of the Lord, which is Eden in Genesis two, six, we see there's a mist that was going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground. Genesis two ten, a river flowed out of Eden and watered the garden. And of course, just the reference to the fact that, uh, it's like the garden of the Lord is making us think of Eden, because that was the Lord's garden. The Lord planted a garden in Eden, which is Genesis 2.8. So right there, we have many references making us think of Eden, therefore thinking of our fall from Eden. Uh, we do have even a reference uh, um, that God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 13.10. That was in the parentheses. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That word destroyed takes us back to uh, Noah. Uh, when God sees all the violence, he says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So even the reference in the parentheses is taking us back to words we're thinking of from, from prior mistakes. Um, we have... <laughs> Again, I know this is just a bunch of words. It might be hard to follow on a podcast, but stick with me. Um, you have the fact that Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. He chose it, which is uh, similar to what you have with the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. And finally, the last word we'll look at uh, is east. So... Um, here we see Lot journeys to the east, to the Jordan Valley, which makes us think of the garden. The garden was planted in the east when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden and cherubim was placed at the east of the garden to protect it. When Cain had uh, uh, sinned, he went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which was east of Eden. If we go to the Tower of Babel, we see that uh, the people migrated there from the east. So we just see a lot of uh, uh, kind of lexical words here getting us to, to think of all these previous stories that have happened, illuminating us to the fact that like, okay, so Lot choosing this land is not just like, you know, not a big deal. It's not a neutral decision. There is more going on here. 
But then we're kind of left with the the idea of like, what exactly? You know, again, let's frame it the way it was framed. Abraham's like, look, dude, you go left, I go right. You go right, I go left. You choose first. So it seems odd to me, right, to be like Abraham was tricking him. You know, you'll you'll choose the lesser land. You'll choose the worse land, right, because I'm letting you choose first. No, I mean, Abraham, like, legitimately seemed to be like, you you go, we're kinsmen, we're friends. Let's not let our workers fighting over everything ruin our lives too. Um, and so he says, choose away. And Lot chooses away. So now we see through these words that it was a bad way to go. But what exactly made it bad? Well, there's a few things that commentaries try to point out. Uh, for example, let me quote from the Old Testament survey series on the Pentateuch. It says, Lot's choice reveals much about his character. His choice reveals, one, his pride for the younger should submit to the elder. And then it quotes 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, which that's New Testament, so that's a little strange that that would be exactly on his mind. Uh, (laughs) But you might be able to find that in the Old Testament too. Um, Two, his worldliness for what mattered to him was that the region was like the land of Egypt. Three, his selfishness for he took the best for himself. Four, his unbelief for he walked by sight, not by faith. He lifted up his eyes. Five, his recklessness, for he pitched his tents near Sodom in spite of the notorious reputation of that place. I think all these are good points to take away. Obviously, you know, he wasn't exactly like the... He wasn't exactly the coolest of guys to be like, well, you let me choose first. I'm obviously going to take the best place. So we, we could go that direction. But again, Abraham seemed to give him that permission. Um, Though it's possible, maybe, maybe they were fighting a little bit more. Maybe it was like, look, dude, this isn't working out for our land. You know, like it's not working out between our people, but we are kinsmen. So rather than us end up fighting with each other, let's just separate. Maybe it wasn't as simple as just like a Oh, we're kinsmen. Let's let's separate. Let's make this easier on us. Maybe they were a bit more at odds with each other. Um, because uh, the Faith Life Study Bible points out that in the patriarchal narratives, separation is often used as a subtle indicator of rejection. So, uh, and they're they're talking about uh, some later stories where some separation happens. So there's the possibility here that maybe them separating is a bit more harsh than just choose land. But I think in the end for me, I would just take a conglomerate of all of these ideas. I would say that, yes, Lot seems to have been fairly selfish. Obviously, he took the best of the land that he could see. But I think I would push uh, for a few other things. Uh, One, the Faith Life Study Bible also points out that uh, um, where he chose to settle is outside the land promised to Abraham. So, you know, if he knows the promise that his uncle has, to some extent, he's just chosen to leave that promise. I think that's an important point to to recognize. Again, this isn't just like your uncle. This is kind of like the father figure that took you in. And despite the fact that God has promised him a different land, we now see Lot leaving for another one. But I think one of the main things that I would really hone in on is the fact that Sodom and Gomorrah is over in this land. I 
I think that's just important to catch on to because we all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it's going to be so infamous as a moral example of how to like run away from God and live a life where a city is just in rampant disregard of God and opposing him. It's, it's just going to set such a precedent that you're even going to see Jesus reference the place in the New Testament. Obviously, it stuck in people's minds, and it still does today, as a place that just does not care for God at all, or living a, a good life that images God to the world. You know, I mean, think of Sodom and Gomorrah. A few strangers walk into town, and it says that all the people there, whether they were young or old, all the men came together because they wanted to rape them. That right there is not a picture of a safe place. And I think that's important for us to note with Lot, because Lot just chose to move to that place. And the Bible wants us to pick up on uh, some of those overtones right there, because it has to point out in parentheses, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It puts that in parentheses, as though it just wants to pause to to point out something that uh, is evil that uh, it wants to make sure we know. We, we see the we see the Bible like pause to interject into the story something that is uh, you know, much less than God's standards happening right here. I don't know. I I think we need to wonder like, did Lot? <laughs> I don't know if he participated in like the fullness of the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah, but it definitely shows him being okay with it by living there, by kind of tiptoeing this direction. I mean, even in, when you look at Lot's character later in Genesis 19, when Sodom and Gomorrah is going to get blown up, uh, you have, you have, uh, sorry, you, you have Lot. He's like, look, guys, just don't rape my guests. Um, instead, Here's my virgin daughters. Have your way with them. Like, that's messed up. If that is Lot's kind of character by the time we get to Genesis 19, that is dark stuff. That's not just even like, oh, well, the way ancient people thought. Like, no, that's that's messed up. And I think the Bible wants us to pick up on how messed up that is. So, if that's Lot's character by Genesis 19... And Lot is supposed to be maybe considered righteous compared to everyone else who's there. Then we're kind of left with this, like, uh, how righteous was Lot? You know? In the same way that uh, maybe we might question some of Noah's righteousness, but he was righteous for his time when we see the floods over and we see him just plastered, drunk in his tent. You know, we're just kind of left to, like, Okay, but how righteous really was he? In the same way, if Lot is righteous for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, then we're like, mm, how righteous really was he? I mean, he intentionally chose to move towards the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible specifically, again, points out that, uh, um, that he moved his tent as far as Sodom. So he's chosen to live here among wicked, great sinners against Yahweh. The same Yahweh who he knows his uncle has this promise with to be blessed by in another land. 
I think the Bible wants us to recognize, and I think we've seen this through all the words that it uses to describe Lot's choice. I don't think it's just like Lot is choosing the better land because his uncle allowed him to choose that. I think there's a lot more deviousness that's kind of being pointed out in Lot's heart. He chose to go to this place that is beyond beyond evil, so evil that God has to do something that is comparatively rare in the Bible, where he actually has to step in to stop the evil from spreading and from being lived out on a daily basis. He stops it supernaturally. He bypasses human components of stopping evil, and he just supernaturally steps in. That right there is a pretty big testament to how bad a place has gotten and how far beyond redemption it can be. And again, that's where Lot has chosen to go. So again, I think the Bible is letting us know in Genesis 13 uh, where this is all headed, that this was a bad decision on Lot's part, showing us yet another fall, like the fall from the Garden of Eden, like uh, the sons of God falling uh, from from their place as angels by committing a great sin with human beings. As the Tower of Babel has fallen, as just all these things in the past have fallen, over and over again, we come across the story of human beings becoming corrupt and missing the point, and Genesis 13 is another one of those stories. All right, so let's finish off this passage. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So this is your final comparison of the story. Uh, You've got Lot who goes one way towards very rampant evil. And then you've got uh, uh, Abraham who does something very interesting. He sets up his tent by a terebinth, by the oaks of Mamre, and builds an altar to Yahweh. Now, do you remember we talked about the oaks of More last time? Uh, These oaks, or these terebinths, were places where you expected to come in contact with supernatural beings. That's uh, around the place where Abraham had Yahweh appear to him. And now Abraham has chosen, after he's called upon the name of the Lord, maybe had this spiritual renewal of sorts, he's left the land of famine, come back to God. Abraham, rather than go to the land of great evil, where his nephew has gone and taken the best of the land, Abraham has chosen to stay faithful 
to Yahweh, who promised him this land right around him. God says, look everywhere. This is your land. You will receive it. And now Abraham has decided to pitch his tent right next to sacred space where Yahweh could dwell. He's by a terebinth. He's by the oaks of uh, uh, Mamre now. He's living outside of the space where spiritual beings are thought to be present, are thought to appear. Just as Yahweh appeared to him by the oak of Moray, now he lives outside of the oak of Mamre. The terebinths at both these places, this is where he lives now. It's where his house is, his tent is. And there he builds an altar to Yahweh. And now it's as though he lives in sacred space, waiting for Yahweh to show up, to give him guidance, direction, and all of this. All right, next week we have a special interview with Scott Smith, who used to, uh, who got a life sentence to the Jackson prison here in Jackson, Michigan, where our podcast is based out of. Uh, I want him to share his story. It's a very powerful story. He's a good guy with uh, uh, quite the testimony. So we'll talk with him next week. Uh, we may also have an episode getting into uh, some of the midweek stuff, but uh, we'll at least have that interview. Next time when we get into Genesis 14, I think we're going to see the Nephilim already return, which should surprise you, but if you pay attention to the language, you can already see it uh, bubbling up in the story told in Genesis 14. So we will return to that. If you're listening on iTunes and you can leave us a a quick uh, rating just by scrolling to the bottom and hitting a star, that always helps uh, podcasts kind of get noticed and, and pumped out to others. And uh, we will catch you either in church on Sunday at 1208 Greenwood or, uh, you know, wherever we run into you. All right. See you next time.